We're in 1 Thessalonians. We're, if, you're, if you've been here, you know we're working our way through, uh, through that letter of the Apostle Paul to, to a church that he, he wasn't involved in for very long. Um, three Saturdays, the book of Acts tells us that he was there and then he was, he was driven out. So, so we're beginning chapter 4 today and we've, kind of, we've been looking at, at 1 Thessalonians kind of as, as this, as God, the gospel in three weeks. You know, what God can do in just a little bit of time or what a big God can do with a little bit of time because their lives totally flipped from what, what they were to what they were when Paul wrote to them or when Paul left them after those three weeks. And, and he's, he's spoken to them and reviewed, kind of reviewed their time together. He's reviewed what the gospel was and what the gospel did to them. And we've kind of tracked with them, almost like those times when you, you get together and you're talking to a friend and another friend of theirs shows up and you kind of just listen to them talk about their story or everything. You're kind of listening in. That's kind of what I feel like the first couple of chapters of Thessalonians has been. We're listening in to these two friends get connected. And then here's this moment like you have with people where they say, hey, but I need to talk to you about something, you know, which can be good or bad. I mean, depending on your friendship, you know, when I say that to people, they tend to instantly get tense, you know, and I understand that's my role. When your pastor says to you, hey, I have something I need to talk to you about, everybody gets tense. It's kind of cool, actually, a little power thing that I have going on. And, and then, you know, if I want to torment you, I can say, it's serious, you know, and Pastor Ted agrees. And he, he's coming in five minutes. So, you know what I mean, that whole sense of it. That sense that you, different friendships, when someone says to you, hey, we need to talk, or I need to talk to you, it's, you just understand that, okay, we're shifting from whatever, sports or family, into something that's going to matter. And that's kind of where we are in 1 Thessalonians 4. They've had all of their catching up. And then he says, you know, in the, right at the beginning of verse 1, finally. Which, you know, people joke about that. They joke about, yeah, Paul, isn't he your average preacher? He says, finally, he's got two chapters left to go. Or in Philippians where he says, finally, and he's halfway through. So it just doesn't seem fair. Seems like when you say finally, people think you're winding down. But I was reading this week, because I've seen that and studied that, but I've never had anyone say, finally means I'm shifting gears the way they would use it in those days, not I'm wrapping up like we tend to think of it. So he lets them know, hey, finally, hey, now we need to shift gears and, and I need to talk to you. And, and as great as, as they're doing, he's got something that he needs now to speak into their lives. And we were talking about that at the very beginning of this, of, of just this moment when... I get to speak to you what I feel like God has put on my heart or Pastor Ted, you know, when, when he's speaking. What it is we feel like God has to say to us as a church family? I say us because I've got to be listening in, you know, as I'm preparing. I've got to be listening in as I'm speaking. You know, God, he's saying something to me. Someone in the church family asked me when we were, before we could meet, they said, wait a minute, you watch yourself on Sundays? And I, <laughs> yeah, I kind of do. I kind of feel like, Sunday morning is the church family getting together, so I want to be in on that. I want to, you know, we're not together, but I want to be in on that. So, so remember we, we talked about this, and we said out of this, uh, I'm not sure what it's doing. Okay, yeah, that we are here in this moment that we're speaking. We're here, we're not just here to affirm what you believe. Some of you are really familiar with First Thessalonians. You're familiar with what the topic's going to be. 
But I'm not here to affirm that. Oh, yeah, I, I already knew that. I'm not here to remind you of what you already know. I'm not here to remind you of experiences you've had. Oh, I remember God used this verse or when I learned this truth. That's, that's not the point of what we're doing because that would leave you the same. And that's never God's goal. That we're speaking God's truth, whether it's the worship team singing it or us getting to preach it or someone giving a testimony, we are speaking God's truth to try to uproot a deeper next experience of leaning into and living the truth. We're, trying, we're hoping that God is breaking up ground so that we can go deeper and we can go on to that next experience because so many of us have gotten comfortable with the experiences we've had. You know, God has another one for you and we want you to lean into that so that you can live the truth. And so here's what he's saying to them. Okay, finally, I need, I got some things I've got to talk to you about. You're doing great. Timothy's told us that you still have good of feelings for us. Timothy's told us that uh, Timothy's told us that you, you continue to hang on to the, the truth even though it's hard. We're really pleased. But now I've got to talk to you about something. And, and it seems like the, this primary thing that he tells them is to keep your goal clear. He says, finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. That you just, you keep your goal clear. If you've come to Jesus and surrendered to him as Savior, the goal of your life is to please God. It's to figure out what pleases him and what doesn't please him. And those things that, that you're doing or thinking or involved in, whatever, that don't please him, you, you just got to cut those out and replace those with things you find out this is what pleases him, this is what the purpose of my life is, this is what his purpose for me is. These are the abilities and the experiences he's given me to serve him well. I've got to stay on track with that. I keep your goal clear. He asks them that. It's kind of interesting. He says that really gently. I ask you and I urge you. That has a little bit more of authority to it, a little bit more drive to it. You're doing well more and more, you know, he says, and you're going to see that through this letter. He's, he's just pushing them to don't get satisfied. Don't think you've come this far and that's good enough. Keep going and keep pressing. Keep the goal clear. That's huge for people that are new in Jesus who just feel like, I've gotten saved. My sins are paid for. I have the hope of heaven. Jesus is going to help me live. And off they go. And, and somehow we miss teaching. No, no, no. The whole purpose of your life has just made a radical change because it's no longer about you and about your plans. I mean, might, God might leave you in the same job. He might leave a lot of your circumstances the same, but he might not. He just wants to know he's got the right to, to rewrite that. You know, I've mentioned in our, in our story, we came to a point where we weren't sure God wanted us on the mission field or he wanted us to stay in America. And at the end of the day, we felt like that was an obedience check. He was just making sure we were willing. So we took steps and then he closed the door. He's going to do that with some of you. He might put something in front of you and say, okay, just, just checking, just making sure I'm still Lord, just making sure your goal is to please me and, and to follow me. That's an obligation. That's an obligation that we have because 1 Corinthians reminds us that you're not your own, that you, you've been bought with a price and so glorify God in your body. That thing we can't say anymore, well, it's my life. It's, it's not your life anymore. It's his life that when you ask him to pay for your sins, he was paying for all of you and not just your, not just your debt. So, so Paul reminds us of that, that we belong to him, and, and so he tells them to do this more and more. 
But when you step back from this passage, there's a lot more authority here than is needed just to tell them, hey, don't forget to please God. Don't forget you're here to please God. Because he says a number of things, like he says, we urge you. I said, that's a little heavier for them. I mean, they may, they may say to him, hey, Paul, man, we've got a relationship. All you got to do is ask me. But I urge you in the Lord Jesus. Now things are getting a little more serious. That as you see from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you. That's really a, a light translation of that word. They say it's really unusual to find this word in a letter like this because it's usually used only in the military when the general gives the orders or when the captains tell the privates what to do. That's this word. And so instructions, that sounds like the list Cindy would leave me when I was in charge of the kids. They're just instructions, you know? This is much stronger than that. So he says, you know, you know what orders, can we translate that way? You know what orders we gave you. Now things are getting even more serious. Paul, man, what do you, you do this for? The instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Boy, important to hear what he's going to say, you have to get an appreciation that he sets this thing up pretty seriously and pretty weighty. That this isn't just what we're saying, this is what the Lord Jesus is, is speaking to you. He's urging them in the Lord Jesus in verse 1. He's reminding them of instructions that they gave through the Lord Jesus in verse 2. And then he kind of moves to the heart of, of what he wants to say. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That God has a will for your life. He's got a plan for your life. If you please him, he's going to unfold that. And that is for your life to be special. Sanctification just speaks to the fact that God saved you and then he set you apart from everything else in this world to be holy, which is... The heart of holiness is not so much being clean as much as it is to be special and different and set apart. Things that were in the temple, they were holy because they weren't going to be used anywhere else. You know, it's kind of like your grandmother's china, if you still had that, or for us, or the special silverware my mom had. You only use that stuff on holidays, and then you had to be careful with it and all of that. It was special, and it was set aside to be used for special purposes. That's how God looks at you and I. That's his will for your life your sanctification, that you look special. That's really interesting that he says that because that kind of lines up with this whole authority thing that's going on because there's only three times in Scripture that, that he will, God will come right out and say, this is my will. For all those times we wrestle with, I wonder what God wants me to do. You know, I wonder what school he wants me to go to. I wonder what, who he wants me to marry. I wonder what he wants me to do with my money. I wonder what he wants me to do with my house. All of those things, you wonder, what is God's will? There's three things He's brought it down to three things where he just comes right out and says, this is my will. You get two of them in Thessalonians, which is really interesting. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you live a holy, separated from the world, separated from people, the way people live who don't know God, that you live that kind of a life. Okay. And then, so he goes from this general, that you, that you be sanctified, that you please God, that you live a sanctified life to describing exactly what that means when he says, and this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's really interesting that one of the three places God would say, this is my will for your life, that he would talk about sex. And so, you know, what we're going to see in this message, and then I want to, I want to come back around to it, um, Pastor Ted's up next week and then my next week uh, 
unless we have a new granddaughter. Uh, I want to come back around and circle to this. So, good. And so it's gone to that. So God's will for you, God's will for his people, is for holy sex, which would have blown the minds of the Greek world at that time. In fact, they are living in an incredibly sexualized culture. They're living in a culture that, where there are no limits on sex at all. The idea that, that, you would, that you would be married and that you would have sex within marriage with one person, to them, they saw that as weak. And so when Paul came in with this whole new sexual ethic, that, that stopped all the conversations. The fact that it's the very first thing that he addresses with a church that he's really happy with kind of lets you know not only what the issues were that they were facing in where they were, but it also lets you know how insignificant that is to God and how important it is. I mean, our culture, our culture has really become so, so similar to that culture where whatever, whatever is goes, don't talk to me, it's my body, we're not hurting anyone, this is consensual. All of those things that are said as a way of getting us to back off with our, with our Christian standards. But it's huge that this is the first thing that he talks about with the church that's doing well. It, it, it prioritizes that to us, that this is a significant deal in God's mind. So there are two truths as, as you're going to see as we read it. And let me read down through verse 8. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we warned you, I'm sorry, as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives, you his, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So you've got, the, you've got two threads going on here, two statements that are being gone. On the one hand, to abstain from sexual immorality. On the other hand, to experience godly sexuality. That's a, it's an important thing for the world to know and for, for us to have in that discussion. That we, under, that we, stand, for, we stand for what God says is, his, is godly sexuality, that we're not just against immorality, that there is a godly sexuality and that, that this isn't something that makes God mad or that God sees as dirty. Ted Roberts has written a book for men, uh, for men who battle with, with sexual sin, to battle with pornography, and he said when he grew up, all he was ever told was, sex is dirty, save it for marriage. And he said... <laughs> think about that. You think about what you are ingraining in a little boy's head or what you are, what you're doing to stain marriage. And that is far from what God says about sex. So important that when, when we talk, really, when we talk to the world or people outside of Jesus, that we talk in balance and that, that we frame that well. That there's not just things that we're against, it's that we're for something, we're trying to protect something that is so good and so special. So, so this morning, I want to be on the front part of that because he says to them, he comes, his emphasis to them in their culture is to abstain from sexual immorality. And that's where, that's where this first part of this... Uh, hey, Grant, I don't know if you can go to that for me. It's just, it's, it goes to the slide. It just takes a while. Yeah. So that we abstain from that. That's a, that word immorality, that's a very, very broad word. 
because sexual sin, as we think of it in the Greek world, was very, very broad. It just was, there was, there was a, a culture and a society that was just characterized by sexual looseness. I want to show you a quote that I came across. If you've got that one, I think it's the next one. Yeah, one of, their, one of the famous Greek orders says, we keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body, and we keep wives for the begetting of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. That was just, that's just the way it was. You got married, you knew that's how, how it was. You understood that's what your role was. You know, the Greek world could make it look like men are dogs, but it was totally pervasive men and women, that women were as immoral as men were. It was a culture that just, allow, that just allowed that. It was normal. It was legal. It was expected. And so you get, a sense of, you get a sense of what the cultural norms were then. If you were pure, you were seen as weak. Maybe some of you in middle school or in high school, maybe that's still how it is. That if you, if you don't engage in sex, in whatever level, you might just be seen as weak or as out of it. So the pressure that you might be feeling, you know, as, as a young lady or as a young man is similar to what, you know, these people that are reading these letters was feeling. And so what God is saying to them, he's saying to you and, and the help that God had for them, he has for you to make, to make its way through. I mean, when I was in high school, it was rare for you know, it was rare. There were people that were having sex, but not, it wasn't the norm. Where our young people, they're in a day where it's the norm. So, you know, as a church family, we need to come alongside that and pray. But you're, you're reading a passage that's written for you as much as it's written to those of us who are adults. There were all kinds of variations, you know, any way, any way that you could have sex, they would, man with men, women, you know, a man, as you see in the quote, with multiple women, women with multiple men, men with men, women with women. You could go to the temple. We've talked about that part of temple worship. A lot of pagan worship involved prostitutes. You could have a transcendent experience with this God by having sex with, a, with one of the temple prostitutes. It's just crazy. It's crazy, but it's just part of a, a brilliant strategy, I think, of the evil kingdom to just take this thing that is so special and so pure in God's sight and, and just stain it and ruin it and just, you know, create, create memories that, that you wish you didn't have. So there were all those variations. There was a sense of, of what's the problem or why is it, why, what's the big deal? Didn't matter what you did, with who you did it, it wasn't a big deal. So much of like what we're hearing today in, the, in that conversation in our culture, what's the big deal? Just sit down because this is consensual or it's okay or leave your, you know, leave your Christian ethics there. It's my body. Boy, aren't we hearing that so much. It's, so it's really kind of ironic, isn't it, that all of a sudden in COVID, it doesn't matter that it's your body. We're going to tell you that your body needs to wear a mask. But when we talk in these areas, it's my body, leave it alone. So... Someone had a great, once in a while you see something that has some intelligence to it on Facebook. And someone, someone had a thing in the abortion discussion of, how about if we talk about the baby's body and what that baby might want? So just these things just get so peeled away. But we, ha- we have to have that discussion. We get to have that discussion well. 
that godly sexuality it, it's experienced only within the safe boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman that everything besides that or beyond that he god speaks to as immorality if he's the creator of the world i say that because i have a friend who he's trying to figure out whether he believes in god or not and he's gotten to the point that he believes that there's a creator god and you know so i think about that and unfortunately i have my best thoughts about something someone says like the next day yeah. so you know hey remember we were talking about so i thought about that so if you believe there's a creator inherent in being creator is the right to make the rules because you understand how this thing works you know my my brother jay up in our attic had this train train village that he had up there and he was four years older than us you know when you're four years older you really do you are more large and in charge than if you're just a couple years older so jay was up there and we'd go if we were allowed up there he'd show us this thing and how it works i made this and this is how it works because he's the creator as creator god knows best how this life works and he knows best how relationships work and he knows how best sex is experienced and so he gets to say what that is and where it works best and where there there are the least regrets and there's the least pain or heartache all of those things and so he's just spelled that out and he says anything beyond that is immorality yeah and before i go on i want to tell you what that word immorality is because i didn't want it at the beginning because i didn't want to i didn't want you to tie that down it's it's the word porneia so but it isn't just speaking to pornography it's a broad word like i said at the start but that word when you say porneia that's going to trigger those of you that battle with pornography and again again as i read not just a man's battle a higher percentage of women battle with pornography than i would than i would have expected so so that's included it's just not people it goes beyond it goes beyond that so one thing i want to establish though can we establish that it's not the worst sin if you're having if you're having discussion with with the gay community or you know one of my closest friends daddled with same-sex attraction the whole time somehow as a church we've communicated that this is the worst sin but it's grouped when you find it in scripture it's grouped with things like lying and gossip and stealing and so in our discussion of this of immorality that you abstain from sexual immorality we have to convey to people this isn't the worst sin yeah it's sin you know and it's sin and it's wrong before god but it's not the worst it is however unique and that's a piece that that we need to you know when we're hearing god on this that we need to realize i want you to turn me to first corinthians 6 so we're going to project it but it's several verses so first corinthians 6 now if the greek world was a sexualized world the city of corinth was an incredibly sexually i mean well paul writes to them in several places is trying to deal with them to to get them to stop doing what they were doing so evidently there were people in the church in corinth that were saying well yeah yeah i went to a prostitute what's the big deal paul just chill what's what's so wrong with this i've cut down however they go i used to go every day or i used to go however however they're talking about the discussion with them is 
why is this a big deal? And so in verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Let me just say, these are key verses when we're talking about, you know, what you think is referred to as gray areas. Hey, here's a gray area where the scripture doesn't say yes or no. So how do you determine whether it's right for you? I remember my pastor, you know, when I was a teenager preaching this, that here are some of the guidelines God is giving us for those gray areas. It might be lawful, but is it helpful? It might be lawful, but does it have the potential to dominate you? That that needs to, you need to factor that in when you're figuring out, can you, can you do this? You know, whether, you know, back then it was, hey, can I, can I watch this type of movie? Is that going to be helpful to me? Is it going to, am I going to be caught up in that and, you know, obsessed with it or whatever it is? So then he goes on, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So, yeah, you... you you see that in Corinth, that was a discussion. What's the big deal of seeing a prostitute? It seems like in Greek philosophy, they really downplayed the role of the body. You know, that, that they didn't, you know, the gods might take on a form of a body, but they didn't really have one. So it really didn't matter what you did with your body. It wasn't that important. Your spirit was so important. And so Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, that's crazy talk. You, you can't do that. There are things that happen in, in a sexual experience that make it a unique sin to other sins. When, when you have sex with someone, you're creating a bond with that person. Don't you know, he says, that you become one body with that person? You go in and, and you steal something. You're not creating a bond with that person. You're trying not to create a bond with that person. You're trying to, you're trying to get what you need and scram. When you lie to someone, you're not creating a bond with that person. You're not creating a tie with that person like you are in, in, when you have sexual act. Sexual act has a physical and an emotional and spiritual component to it, unlike other sins. It, in, it involves all of you. You know, we'll talk when we do, when I do premarital counseling, we'll, we'll have a conversation about this. And, and I'll say, you know, that early on, the physical, the physical side of, of, of sex and marriage, that's fun and it's great. If you do marriage right, the emotional piece becomes more and more significant because it's a whole person act, unlike other sins. It's unique in that it has the potential to create life, whether or not you intend to. It has the potential to create life, and no other, no other sin has that potential. Uh, when, when you have sex with someone, you are all out there. You are, you don't you love the Old Testament word, you are known. Adam knew his wife, Eve, and they had a child. 
that you are known in a deeper way than any other sin you're going to commit. It's, a, it's unique. On the one side, you know, I want to keep coming back. When you're doing it within God's confines, that makes it wonderful and beautiful. But when you're outside of it, you are doing something that no other sin has the, has the power to do. When, when, when you're involved in sexual sin or in a sexual act, you're susceptible to the memory of that happening in future sexual acts. You know, when you see someone, I've talked to some of you whose stories have uh, included abuse. When you see someone that looks like the person that abused you, it just triggers that, men- that memory. When you go to a place where maybe it was a place you used to go to, to drink or whatever, to get drunk or whatever, when you see a place that reminds you of that, it triggers that. If you get married or in, in, are enjoying sex as God intended to be, you're susceptible to those memories coming back because you are redoing that act every time. It's inevitable. So you're susceptible to that, unlike other, other sins. You don't, when you're in a situation and you're under pressure and you, t- you decide to do something other than be totally truthful, it's not going to trigger every lie you ever told because that's a unique conversation. It's, there's a uniqueness to that. There's a sharedness. There's a sharedness to sexual sin that just makes it unique. You have the potential to pass disease, unlike other, other sins. And then outside of marriage, it's always going to impact an innocent person. If it's adultery, you're impacting an innocent. I understand adultery and there are things that lead to that, and so the word innocent isn't always, but you know what I mean. It affects, it affects the non-sinning person. Do we, maybe we put it that way. Well, it was before we got married. Well, then you have taken something away from your future wife or your future husband. So it's a unique sin. It's unique, and and we need to look at it in that way, not the worst sin, and we need to make sure that we're not communicating that when we have conversations with people who who disagree with it or people who are trying to understand what Jesus is saying to them. It's not the worst, but it is unique, and God speaks to that. And so God just says, so just abstain from it. It's a word that just means get away or, or, or just put a stop to it, put an end to it. Don't cut back. It's not one of those sins you should talk about, I'm, I'm going to cut back on this. You know, I'm committing adultery. I've had those conversations with people. It's like, you are crazy. I'm, I'm only going to drink a glass of poison this week instead of a quart of poison. That makes no sense at all. So God just says, abstain, abstain from it. But watch the Lord Jesus take it to a higher level, like he constantly did in the Gospels. You know, he says to them, well, this is kind of what you've gotten used to. I'm here to, to bring standards up to what God has said. And so he says in Matthew, when he's, when he's speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, and that's important about this point in the message, isn't it? This isn't what I think. I'm just telling you what, what God has put in his book. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, or let's flip that, every woman who looks at a man, because I've, I've overheard some women, not, not here, but man. I thought Boy Scouts were rough when I was in Boy Scouts. Yeah. That everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, I'm so, hope, I'm so thankful for the people that have taught that along the way, that that doesn't mean a lustful thought, because Satan is constantly dropping lustful thoughts. You know, it's like Martin Luther said, uh, you know, he's such a great quote, it's not a sin for a bird to fly over your head. 
It's a sin to let it build a nest in your hair. It's not a sin for a thought to go through your mind. It's a sin for you to stop and say, wait a minute, let me think about that a little more. Or let me let that picture evolve a little bit more. So that's when Jesus says, you know, this isn't just an act, it's a heart. That's where God is always dealing with us with sin. And so God, he writes to the Thessalonians, says, you abstain from sexual immorality. Jesus says, just remember to us, sexual immorality goes on in the heart and, and not just in actions. It's so significant that every single one of Paul's letters will speak to this. Every one of them. You know, I want to walk through those with you. He says to Romans, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, that's what I'm speaking of. It's not the worst sin because look what's surrounding it. Stuff that we would say, you know, oh, hey, we're okay, pastor. We're just arguing. Well, it's there, so and it's put in that thing. But that's Romans. Corinthians, we could say take a pass on because we already read it, but look what's going on in their church. It's actually reported there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. There's a, there's a man in their church who's sleeping with his stepmother. And you're arrogant, or in one, one translation we'll say, and you're proud. Ought you not rather mourn? Let him who's done this be removed from among you. You know, that sense of pride, I try to figure out what that means. The only thing you can come up with is, are you pride, proud of showing him so much grace that you're not judging him? Because that is the wrong kind of grace to show. The right grace to show to people at different times is to confront them and try to, to try to bring them out of the insanity. Galatians is the next letter. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And he goes on with a list from there. The next letter is Ephesians. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. We shouldn't even be talking about anybody in your church dealing with this, is what Paul's saying. The next letter is Philippians. And Philippians seem to have things going on well enough because as close as we get is when he tells them what they ought to be thinking on, what their mind ought to be locked on. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, I've heard, I've heard that taught. It's been helpful to me. That's like the grid that your thoughts need to be able to make it through. It's like the, the strainer. You know, is this honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Then I, sh- I can keep thinking about it. If it's not, I need, to just, I need to shut that thought down. Philippians. Then you go to Colossians. Put to death whatever is earthly in your sexual... Immor- put, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He just put it to death. Passion there is... Is not passion to us can be a word that's good, man. I'm really passionate about this ministry. It can be in many directions. Passion for them was a word that was always used in evil contexts. So you have you have Colossians. We're in Thessalonians, and then he writes his letters to Timothy. He says to Timothy, he's warning him about men that are going to try to come into his church. 
For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Timothy, you watch out in Ephesus, you watch out for men who want to work their way into church and be ministry, have ministry and end up creeping into women's houses and seducing them. I mean, Peter's going to talk about that. It's such a significant issue. Every one of his letters is going to deal with it. That's how significant it was in, in their culture. That's a word we need to really dial in on on our culture. Things are being sold uh, by attaching it to sex. So many, so many movies, so many television shows have just gravitated where more and more is shown and, and there's a greater acceptance and just normalcy to relationships, to relationships that are wrong. And so he says to abstain. And so where, wherever you may be being triggered in this or being convicted of this, you need to watch out for the way that you use the word not that bad. Because that not that bad is the doorway to sort of bad and then to kind of bad and then to bad and then to really bad and I never thought it would be this bad. But it all kind of starts with that thing that we, some of us, you know, fast forward right away or we get caught or trapped in something. But some, most of us, it's, well, it's not that bad. Or, you know, someone, is, someone will tell me occasionally, hey, and we're watching this TV series. It's really good. We're binge watching it on Netflix. So I'll start to watch it. I just cannot, you know, I cannot watch things. How do I say this? I want to say it with a lot of sex. Because, yeah, I can handle things that have not so much sex. Yeah. I cannot, things that have sexual immorality, things that, that show flesh, I can't go there. I just know myself. And, you know, if, if I'm, whatever, if, if we're watching a show and it's really good and it's got a great theme line, God's just giving me this wife that just feels, she, God gives her a word to say, should we be watching this? You see, no, I was just waiting to see, you know, when you were going to say something. I mean, you know, yeah. God's going to put people in your life that's going to check you, and you had better let them check you, or you are going to keep going. I mean, isn't that, what, isn't that why we have Proverbs 5, where Solomon says, listen, son, you have got to watch out for women with loose morals. You know, we talk about Proverbs that's written to his son. He could have written a Proverbs to his daughter and said, you've got to watch out for some of these guys because it will look great and sound great and it will be fun and then the next thing you know. So he says to abstain from it. I've talked to people and I get really worried when people say to me, but I can handle it. You know, it's not really that bad. I can handle it. That's just the words of danger to me because they lead to things that you can't handle. And so he says abstain. And so as you process this, there may be a relationship that you need to end. That, hey, we keep saying no more, <laughs> but it keeps ending up more. There may be a relationship you've got to end. Or, you know, in our, in our story is, as a church, it's not unusual for people to come in that are living together and just to find Jesus and then begin to, t to find out Jesus' plan for them. You know, so if that's you, if that's who you are, if you're watching us in live stream, you abstain from sexual immorality, immorality by getting married. By getting married. If that's a relationship you're in and you love each other, then make it right before God. 
You know, I was listening to someone, you know, a long time ago that was, they were, they were growing in the Lord. And uh, I remember them saying, we're just, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what God wants me to do. <laughs> it wasn't the right setting, but I was thinking, you know, hey, I know, you know, it's not because not I'm a pastor. I'm just wondering, maybe get married and not live together anymore. I don't know, just a thought, you know. <laughs> it's pretty clear, you know, saying, so if you're going to obey scripture this morning, and let's back up to remember all the ways that Paul introduced the authority before he said this, you know, that, that you, this is what God's will is for your life. Maybe just get married. Let's get married. When, when we've had couples in some of your stories who've been living together and we, we get together and we decide, hey, let's get married. Let's get married sooner than later. And let's do the premarital counseling after the fact. If we have that kind of covenant, we'll just covenant together. You're going to commit to it. And so let's get married sooner. Or, you know, if you can't do that and, and there are kids involved or whatever, okay, let's continue to live together. But we have a covenant of no sex. And I'm going to ask you every week and it's going to be the most uncomfortable moment of my week. But before the Lord, we're going to know you're trying to do this right. Abstain from sexual immorality. Get married or end the relationship or set boundaries. You know, when I have couples that are going to marry, we talk about, so how far, you know, where's your boundary? How far are you guys comfortable going? And then we'll talk about how far I understand the Bible saying they should be going. You know? Hey, can I say as a rule? My pastor said this, and... I didn't know I was a new believer at 14, and, and girls were a wonderful thing that he created, I noticed, at that age. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I tell couples, anything below the shoulders is just stepping on the accelerator. So you need to establish boundaries that are safe and that are not going to lead you into things you regret, you know? You need to embrace, embrace God's standard. You need to, in your heart, just embrace that this is what God said is right. This is where things thrive best. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to line up on what he says, where he says the line is. You may need to cancel cable. If you keep finding yourselves watching shows you shouldn't watch, you may need to just abstain by cutting out your cable. Or you need to protect your computer. Maybe you need to put something on your computer that just blocks you out of going to different sites or... Have an accountability partner in that. My concern with accountability partners is that so often it's just two guys tattling on each other and not so much two guys helping each other walk out of that. So that can help. You protect your computer. You make your history available. I, I think every wife and every husband ought to have each other's passwords because the moment there starts to be secrets, is a moment that Satan can begin to exploit things. So, yeah, Cindy knows how to get into my phone. She knows, you know, she doesn't know how, I don't think you know how to do the history on the computer, but that's not because I haven't shown you or whatever. Yeah, but there ought to be that right. You know, there ought to be that right. You're, that's, that is abstaining. That is closing that door. You ought to fix what's broken in you, you know, one of, the, one of the unique things that makes about sexual sin is that it's a drive that God has put within us. I don't have a drive to steal things. You know, I don't have a drive to lose my temper. But I, I do have a drive for food and, and I have a sexual drive like you do. So 
you, you need to, if that's out of control, or if, that, if you can't reel that in, you need to fix what's broken in you and why, that's, why that is, a, is such an issue for you or why that's such a losing battle for you. You need to fix that or you need to fix it within your relationship so that your relationship becomes what it's supposed to be and, and so that, that that area can thrive. Fix it. Don't just live in it and then face temptation because you don't address that. Or maybe you need to join a ministry geared to people that struggle with sexual sins. Maybe we need to start one if there's enough, if there's enough guys or enough women. Obviously, that's a ministry you would do separately. But if there's enough need, then that would be an indication to us that the Lord is saying we need that. Or maybe you just need to do whatever it is you need to do. Because remember where Romans says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision. You know, I remember talking with one guy who just battled pornography, and I just told him, you should just lock yourself out of your computer for a while. No, oh, I can't do that. I can, you can do that. It says make no provision, you know. Or you need to stay away from that person. Well, you know, but we're friends. No provision. No provision. That's, that's what God's saying, because he knows. We, and all of our experience knows that you, this part is okay but it's going to take you to what's not okay. That's just how it works, and that's all of our stories, and you don't need me to, to tell you about that. That this is God's will. He says that so straight out. He sets it up with authority, and then he says straight out, this is God's will. God can't make much more of a clear statement than that, your sex, that you abstain from sexual immorality. He could have said, he could have made that positive, that you live a, a sexual morality, but he didn't. He said the flip way, the negative way, so he could use a really strong word like abstain to make sure we, we understood, we stood this. This is, this is his will for you, your sanctification, that you be special, that you be set apart, that you be clean. I do want to speak, I, I do want to take a second and just speak before I finish out, because I imagine I've stirred up a fair amount of guilt in the room, because a number of you came to Jesus, and we're so, we're so glad you did. I'm so thankful for this church family and how messy it can be. But you came to Jesus out of a story that was far from what God was saying was right sexually. You know, those of you in the family who've been sexually abused, and my heart just breaks for you because I know how hard you have to work to have healthy sexual relationships, you know, now. You know, those of you that have been used by men or, or by women, you know, that's, this is an equal opportunity sin. Those of you have been used in, in different ways, I just know that these things, that this is something that just has a powerful trigger to it. So, so let's just come back to Scripture. And how kind is God that, that one of the places that we want to come back to is, is in 1 Corinthians, this church that was in, this, in a place where sex was so prevalent and in a church where they were having a hard time getting a handle on things. He says to this church, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, important that we say, it's not people that, you know, it's not some, you know, some guy that's had an affair. It's not 
some guy that struggles with same-sex attraction or a woman that struggles with same-sex attraction and has acted out on this. When Scripture speaks in terms like this, it's people who have just given their lives over to these sins without any sense of wrong, without any, without any inclination to stop. So I don't want to lose you because, oh, I've done that. Well, so have a lot of us. Here's what the next verse says to them. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That if that's been your past, this was your moment with Jesus. And this is where you live now. You're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified in the name of Jesus. Yeah. You know, clearly, I can't have, hey, so if this applies to you, let me have you stand, and we want to pray for you. I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that to you. So let's all say this out loud, because there's some of us, some of us in the church family, we need to, we need to receive these words. So you need to speak these words over yourself, but we're not going to let you do, we're not going to front you to do that. We're going to say that with you. So let's all just read this verse together. Let's say, although, let's say, sorry about that. Let's say, and such were some of us, but we were, or uh, let's say we, okay? And such were some of us, for we were washed, and we were sanctified, and we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if you're one of the people that needed that in your heart, I need you to say, I receive that. You just need, in the deepest part, part of your heart, in your mind, you need to receive that, because that's truth. That's truth at the deepest point. That's how God sees you. That's what he did to you when you gave your life to Jesus. You know, and then he says, those sins I remember no more. Or he's buried them, and scripture says he's buried him in the deepest ocean. I always love the testimony I heard from when this, this, somebody read that verse in a church service and then this, as the story goes, this old farmer stood up and said, and he's put a no fishing sign there. Yeah, yeah good, yeah. So you can't bring it up or he can't bring it up. Yeah. Or how, this verse that we use so often. Let's, let's read this one together. Yeah, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the last couple of years, Pastor Ted and I have come to understand that First John 1, it seems best fit to your salvation moment yes. more than, you know, you don't, God, you have been forgiven of all your sins. He doesn't forgive you. He's not waiting to forgive you for what you did yesterday. So this happened at your salvation. You confessed that you were a sinner and needed a savior. And at that moment, he forgave you. So how kind of God, not just say you're forgiven, but you know, that means he cleansed you from all unrighteousness. So that stain that some of you feel like you carry, it doesn't have to be just about sexual sin, that stain that some of you feel like you carry or that sense that you're just not right, that's not from God. That's not God's truth. That's coming from the liar and you need to reject that because he's washed you and, and he's made you clean important for us to realize this is not what God is saying. Uh, what he is saying, I gotta figure out how to do this. Yep. What he's saying is this. So he's going to go on in the passage and, and, talk, and talk to us about the other. Abstain from sexual, immoral, sexual immorality so that you can experience 
godly sexuality. So important for us in that. Warren Risby says in, in thing, he says he's not saying to us, he's not trying to build us, to put us in a prison with all these walls around sex. Instead, he's trying to get us to realize that sex is this, sex is this beautiful garden that needs a wall to protect it. And that's where he's called us to abstain from sexual immorality. So you know, let's stand together. I want to pray. And the team just has a, a song that's really a prayer. Father, thank you so much you know, for making clear in the word what works and what doesn't work. You know, my heart goes out to men or women who, who just chased after relationship after relationship, hoping to find someone that would just love them. And, and, and in the course of that, men or women that lowered their standards or allowed things to happen that, that they wouldn't normally happen, but they were just hoping maybe that time there would be love there. So thankful that we found you, we found love. We found love in its pure form. We found, we found a relationship where someone would really take care of us, that someone would value us and honor us like is supposed to happen in every relationship. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If, you're, if you come, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't understand that he can't have a relationship with you until, until you ask him to forgive you and get rid of that wall of what you've done wrong that's between you and him. And, and that in a moment when you just admit, God, there's things that I've done wrong against you and I'm sorry and, and I can't pay those off. So please forgive me in light of what Jesus has done in paying for sin. That's the only thing I put my trust in and what he's done. And come into my life and change me. Then you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God where he can change you. And he can wash away all those things and give you that clean slate. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Well, we long for people to, to find that like we found it. So if that's you this morning, you just pray that in your heart and God will do that. Amazingly, that happens from heaven. And then we've got some, some things we'd love to put in your hands to help you. And if this was part of your story, then I hope, I hope so much that on the one hand, you'll stop. And on the other hand, if you've stopped, that you'll be able to receive what God says about you now. And you'll be able to move forward into the abundant life that Jesus has for you just as much as he has for the rest of us. So Father, we just, yeah, we hear you. We hear you loud and clear this morning that you would tag it this strongly. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Strengthen those for whom this is a huge battle. Protect, protect all of us, Lord. Use us well in this culture to reflect what you say is right and pure in a good way that others will find healing and forgiveness and others will come into experiencing life and marriage and sex the way that you say that it's supposed to be experienced. So you'll be glorified and you'll be loved. That's what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.